I think confinement uh, for me uh, leads back to confrontation because basically I'm not talking about families etc but basically when you're confined and there's moments you you with yourself and I mean the the more complicated the more complex dialogue uh, that is to be taken is a dialogue with oneself and when we look at it there's not so many occasions that we have uh, to have this kind of schizophrenic dialogue where precisely we we question what we're supposed to know. If we would be clever uh, enough to think about the opportunity that are given to us, we would not feel um, punishment, but feel that is something else than a punishment. Welcome to Creativity Pioneers, a podcast by the Moleskin Foundation. Here, we engage in conversations with unique creative minds to explore and expand our understanding of creativity and its transformative power this season is a collection of live talks that were recorded during the first European lockdown. I'm your host, Adam Asane, Moleskine Foundation CEO. Please subscribe now to our podcast on the platform of your choice and tune in for new episodes. I look forward to reading your thoughts and comments on our social media channels. Enjoy the conversation. Many of you already know him. He's a writer, a philosopher, a curator that reached and influenced millions of people in um, five continents with his shows, but, but also, and I would say, I, I would argue above all of this, he's a unique educator for lack of a better term. And uh, I'm very happy actually that today, many of his students are connected with us today. Simon has been part of, um, of the Moleskine Foundation family from the beginning, actually even before the beginning. Um, and throughout the years, he inspired us and challenge us to observe densely, to think precisely, and especially to go beyond what we think we know or what we thought we knew. With this in mind, we decided to ask him to guide us through an exploration of three words that we think we know, or again, we thought we knew. These three words are confinement, mask, and the other. Simon, I would like to ask you, what were you thinking when we started um, you know, discussing about the topic of this conversation? And uh, I remember that we were trying uh, a few other words before, and of course you complained. <laughs> and uh, but then I think when we got to those three, confinement, mask, and the other, I could see that something uh, caught your attention. And so I'm wondering, what was it and what's your take around it? I mean, the, the, the basic thing, the major thing, and uh, uh, the quote from this Italian journalist reminds me of, um, of Levinas, Emmanuel Levinas, who was directly linking knowledge and shadow, uh, light and shadows. And I think that we're living in a period of time, especially when we're overwhelmed by uh, news, TV, newsreel, etc., uh, by words that, um, that slowly lose their meanings because they become like uh, mottos, they become like something without shadow, to, to use that uh, expression. And uh, if you look, for instance, at the three words, 
that we're going to reflect on. There's a, there's a little story that could be made of. I have to wear a mask to protect the others. Isn't it funny? Um, so uh, words are, are, are really important. And when we, we're talking about something like confinement, for instance, I always think of, uh, of Michel Foucault and uh, of the study he made on prisons and on the way uh, the state was was always surveilling uh, the way the big brother was was around us and um, and i have the feeling that we came back in a kind of a big brother time and period. Uh, when you go out, which I don't do because I don't like going out, but I hear that people are controlled, etc., etc. There's a lot of, uh, of games that are, that are played on, on the confinement. But if you go to a prison when you have a, uh, where you're confined in a prison, which is already a, a, a topus of confinement, but when you're confined, it's like an extra confinement. You're confined within the confinement when you're dangerous, when you did something uh, wrong and bad. But still, uh, some people would say that they, they would confine into themselves. So I think confinement, again, as um, any other word, uh, can mean so many different things. Uh, personally, I found it, uh, beside the, the tragedies, et cetera, et cetera, I find it like a, a kind of a, a chance, a kind of gift, uh, because for, uh, I think this is the longest period of my life that I'm spending uh, that much time at home, but um, it leads you to, to reflect on, on things that maybe you would have you know, you would have forgotten or you would have uh, solved very, very quickly. I think confinement, uh, for me, uh, leads back to confrontation because uh, basically, I'm not talking about families, etc., but basically when you're confined and there's moments you, you're with yourself. And I mean, the, the more complicated, the more complex dialogue uh, that is to be taken is a dialogue with oneself. And when we look at it, there's not so many occasions that we have uh, to have this kind of schizophrenic dialogue where precisely we, we question what we're supposed to know. So there's always, in, in order to, to leave a situation, if we if we do it by the words, there's always different manner to engage with a word and with its meaning. Whether you take in a passive way, the way it's given to you, and then you might feel bad, you might feel sad, you might feel whatever goes with that word, with that shadow, or you bring some shadow into it, and you wonder how does it work for yourself? What does it exactly mean? And for me, it means basically um, reconnection. It means reconnection because uh, when you're outside, it's, uh, it's obvious many people have been writing about it. When you're outside, you see nothing. Uh, for instance, somebody like uh, Barthes, 
uh, writing about photography was saying that in order to feel the photography properly, you have to look at it with your eyes closed. And I think that this disclosure, which is also a disclosure, is, uh, is what is offered to us today. And uh, if we would be clever uh, enough to think about the opportunity that are given to us, we'll not feel um, as it's a, it's a punishment, but feel that it's something else than a punishment. And uh, this is the first time that there have always been a lot of, uh, of uh, strange pandemias or strange um, events in the, on this planet, war. Uh, being one of them, it's the first time that this um, feeling of equality, isn't it weird, is felt that much. Because this virus is not choosing its territory. It's everywhere. Everybody is confined. The world is confined. This big world of ours. But then it's also the time to, and this is something our alumni are going to reflect on, uh, to think of what is the meaning of that word when you're living in Addis Ababa, when you're living in New York, when you're living in Milan, Madrid, or Paris. And we'll find out that the same word leads to totally different things. Uh, my friend sent me um, an interesting story. Uh, in Cameroon, the government, which is, of course, um, well, let's call it the government for the sake of it, uh, decided that the bar will be closed at six. So my brother called me and said, do you know how the Cameroonian played with us in there? I said, you would see them in the street at a quarter to six entering a bar, and then we ask them, where are you going? They say, I'm going to confine myself in a bar. So they were locked in a bar <laughs> all night long. So um, I think one of the, the, the biggest mistakes we're always making is to believe that we're the center of the world because our point of view, the hink and nook, where we're living is what is uh, the only thing that matters. But if we look at it on a broader perspective, and I think that confinement, uh, uh, curiously, authorizes, allows to have a broader perspective, because I think that uh, people have never watched television, listened to news more than now. I think people know more about what is outside than they never did. But this is because they are forced to deal with with themselves. Yeah, I'm still reflecting on a couple of things that you said. But I'm wondering, though, within this idea of, of confinement, there is almost like two elements that are happening at the same time. There is a form of um, or sense of surrealism of kind of not really realizing and understanding what is happening um, and being within your confined self. But at the same time, this is connected with a, with a, uh, with a similar energy that is of hyper-realism because this is a moment in which things are happening 
for real. <laughs> you know, you, you literally cannot move out from your, from your apartment. Uh, people are dying. Friends are, are like in a, in a, in a, with health issues. So I found this moment particularly uh, strange to a certain extent because of the peak of surrealism. It coincides with the peak of hyperrealism, or at least that sensation. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you deal with, uh, with, with such an energy? How do you deal with such a context? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the context is, is not there. I, I think that uh, whatever you call context is just to, to remind us a couple of things. As you know, I've always believed that reality is the, the best fiction ever. Mm-hmm. If you look at what is happening in your life on a daily basis, if you look at what is happening in the world, if you'd be writing it, you would say he's nuts. But actually, fiction is everywhere. And if we look at reality as a fiction, then we might become writers. Because you are the master of your fiction. And if reality is a fiction, then why don't you rewrite it? And we have those kind of uh, interesting collateral damages. Uh, in China, they can see the sky for the first time. My friend in India told me, I can breathe, etc., etc. There was even, it would be um, a comic if it was not dramatic, there have been some ceasefires signed because of that thing. Things that would never happen in quote-unquote normal times, which really means that we, uh, we're confusing reality and fiction. I think that reality is a fiction, and whatever we call fiction is a mere reality, because when you write something, you just write uh, from a confinement point, from a confined point. That is your head, that is your sensibility, that is your experiences. So when you come up with a fiction, the fiction is always limited by what you know or by what you don't know. But reality is a much larger book that gives us so many informations, that gives us so many uh, distorted vision of what we think is. So, yes, I don't think there's an opposition between what you are calling hyper-reality and, uh, and imagination or fiction. I think it goes together. There's no reality without fiction and there's no fiction without reality. But at times we tend to forget it. Some people say it's a real world. What do they mean? I'll say it's fictional. What do they mean? I think that those two things are, are intimately connected. That, that, that this idea of, um, of uh, fiction and reality, um, it brought me to a series of conversations that we had in the past regarding the words and the concept of a mask. Um, you, you dealt with it quite a lot in your work um, and, uh, um, and, and exactly exploring this, this duality. When we think about uh, the interpretation of, uh, in this case, of uh, the so-called African mask, you know, and the way this uh, has been interpreted and considered, you know, from uh, from an external gaze, and how they have been repurposed, you know, with an external gaze, and that give new meaning um, that is completely disconnected from the original one. So I'm kind of wondering um, this concept of uh, of uh, fiction and reality in relation to to mask, and in relation to the fact that in this moment we are wearing 
we, we must wear uh, a mask. How would that, how did that reconnect with part of the work that you've done in the past and your interpretation of, of the moment? I think that we're, we're there. I think that nothing is more revealing than a mask. And there's just something we don't know is that when we have the object, we remember the mask. But a face is a mask. I remember in this uh, opera, there was this king of uh, Sweden. There was a, a, a costume opera there. And then he was, um, he was assassinated then. And his last words, um, they said, I was not there, where I was killed by a black mask. And I found that very, very interesting because all of a sudden the person who killed him was not a person anymore. It was a black mask. And of course, when I read this, being myself, Cameroonian, Massa, etc., I was interested by the notion of colors as well and their meanings and what is a black mask. But uh, uh, and the thing is that we have many, many faces. And what I like about the idea of the mask is that it makes us realize that we're always wearing masks. And the mask uh, is what, uh, what leads to, to great confusions. We're supposed to go out there wearing a mask, but knowing what is under the mask but the person we're addressing might not know what is under the mask. And we select the mask we want to wear according to the person we want to deal with. I was always um, uh, amused, because I'm amused by strange things. Uh, when I travel, I remember I was a kid, and I was traveling with this doctor. He was a, a big professor in uh, Nigeria, I think. and. Uh, we were traveling together, and they stopped him. And I knew that he knew he was this brilliant professor, but I knew that the custom officer didn't see any brilliant officer. It was so a mask that he read according to the way he could read, which was a very poor reading, of course. So in this interaction, uh, we always strangers. I mean, we're strangers to, to ourselves. If you look at yourself in a mirror, it's upside down. The right is left and the left is right. But you think when you look at yourself every morning that you see yourself. When you don't see yourself, you already see an interpretation of yourself. So the mask is, is a, is a language. The mask is a communication tool. You were referring to, uh, to, to the mask that uh, African were doing. Uh, those masks, to go back to the Bible tradition, at the beginning was the word. Those masks were words. They were uh, the, the, the interface in their dialogue with the gods. But then, in order to say this to a god, you needed that mask and not that one. In order to say that, you needed another mask. So uh, there's not one mask and millions of masks. And this is what is interesting, that when you're addressing somebody, you're always wondering, at least I am always wondering, to whom I'm talking exactly. Because uh, that's the Sphinx thing, 
who is crawling on four legs and then two legs and then three legs. It's like this is how we are from the the beginning of the day to to the end of the day. Uh, whatever people are seeing of our conversation is even uh, more interesting because we're in a triple mise en abyme. I'm at home, you're at home, we, 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 we shot by cameras and they see the thing. I mean, they screens, 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 screens between them and us, between the two of us already. And uh, nobody can know if I'm wearing pyjamas underneath my, my jacket or, or if I'm if I'm on my underwears, etc., etc. So we just have a perception that is never complete. And I think that... Um, the work of an artist, the work of a thinker, uh, is always to try to go beyond, I'm going back to this notion of shadow, beyond the mask, beyond the mask that the words are, are, are wearing, beyond the mask that we are wearing ourselves, and beyond the, um, I mean, this is what Baldwin said, uh, to, to make a parallel to, uh, to that shadow thing, to go and seek for the evidence of things not seen. The mask is an invitation to go and look for things that we don't see or that we don't realize we see. So that kind of really made me think and brought me to, to the last words that, that we wanted to explore today. There's technically two words, but the last concept, you know, this idea of the other. Uh, because this juxtaposition between I and the other, you know, it's something again that you explore quite a lot. And 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 at this, you know, in this specific moment, uh, um, this sound, it seems particularly important to really understand how to deal with this when when you can be um, a silent. Uh, I don't know how to say in English, untore, when you can be like a, a silent, uh, you know, um, uh, um, say. Uh, um, you can continue the disease in some shape or form. I don't know how to call it. And at the same time, you're a protector uh, of yourself from others. Uh, but but I think this is there's still like this element of where is I in the other, and and how like this situation uh, and this context is bringing up um, to you. What brings up to you this new context when you? When you when you think about the concept of the other somehow, now I think that again we're, we're living in times where um, the other, and we're going to um, we're going to analyze this, this this notion. But for the moment, we are all the others, and it's a particular time because that this virus is everywhere. So since the virus is everywhere, the virus becomes the, the common link between all of us. You cannot say black, yellow, blah, blah, blah. You say coronavirus. And everybody say, yes, I have it. So there's a kind of a commonality that is created by, by the virus that changes uh, the perception of otherness. But uh, Anna Arendt was saying when she, she, she was talking about the problem, the other, was that what is terrible to the other is that when he becomes the same, he loses his intrinsic quality because he's not the other anymore. He becomes banalized. So it's always interesting to have um, this this barrier 
between I and the other. And in the time we're living, I was just thinking of uh, of Jean-Paul Sartre's play, uh, Reclos, that you could translate by confinement for the sake of it, uh, where at the end of the play, uh, it, a bunch of people who are gathered in a, in a little room, and at the end, uh, and we, we understand why we, we're reading the play that they're dead, and that they, they were sent in hell, and the last sentence of the play is, hell is the other. So those guys discovered that just the fact to be confined together there create hell. But at the same time, um, the, the, the young poet Rimbaud said, I am the other. So if you combine Sartre and Rimbaud, you might end up to say, I am hell. So who is the other is always a, a question uh, that is fascinating because we're always the other of the other. We're always another one. And uh, the problem, again, about centrality, this is why uh, people were colonized. This is why people were enslaved. This is why Torquemada was killing the people didn't believe. This is why, uh, uh, this is why we're living in a fucked up world. Because uh, the definition, the meta definition of the other that we that we use by states or sect, etc., the other would be the one who is not me, and the one who is not me becomes the enemy. So there are different uh, structures of confusion about the other uh, that, of course, go far, far beyond what uh, Rambo was trying to say, but. Uh, the, the notion of transfer, for instance, in, in psychoanalysis, is based on the fact that you can take the other's load in order to understand him better and to help him. doesn't mean that you become the other. It, it, it means that, uh, well, there's a transfer that happened where you have a connectivity that is, uh, that is different. And the, but the other is supposed to be, to be rich say one, another, another, another. And um, maybe, again, one of the strange results, positive collateral damages of uh, of this moment is this kind of, but knowing how stupid human beings are, I know that it will all be forgotten. But uh, there's a feeling of uh, of being the other today just because people are dying in the same manner. Uh, I remember I was walking, sneaking out the other day. My big brother, Manu, died, and I was walking, and uh, I heard the loud music. Uh, there was a lady on her balcony who put her loudspeakers, and there was a mamako, mamakosa by, by, uh, by Manu. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a sensitive person, but I was like, Wow, what a tribute, what, what an homage. I'm not sure that this would have happened in, uh, in other times. Um, I want to ask you something, um, because I think it's, um, it, it relates to all this. Um, so you know that when you create and when you think about um, an, the, an at-work theme, you know, of um, last year, you know, you, you came up with a theme that is, particularly 
I think, relevant uh, for, for what is happening, almost like a little bit prophetic. And the theme of uh, this year tour, or was supposed to be this year tour, was what comes first. And uh, um, you refer to a specific conversation that I'll let you also a little bit describe. But it was basically what comes first, uh, the mother or the country. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I'm kind of, I need to ask you, Simon, what comes first in this, in this moment? No, there's a, well, this conversation between Camus and, and Sartre, where Camus said a country and, uh, uh, no, Sartre said a country and Camus said my mother. Um, I think personally, because I'm, I'm a bit more of a Sartrean, the mother should never come first. Uh, because we're, we're in a moment where if the mother would be the one coming first, we would just be selfish. The mother being the symbol of, of me and, and the, the notion of nation, the notion of group doesn't prevail. Uh, uh, what comes first is not, this is what I was telling to, to the alumni, is not, uh, should not be linked to what is happening now. Because if we say what comes first is to go and see my mother, what comes first is to have enough um, toilet paper, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is an answer that is irrelevant. What comes first is something that should always come first, no matter the circumstances. So this is why it's important, even in those moments, for us to ask ourselves what comes first. At the beginning, they said it was the word. But maybe say something else. Thank you, Simon, that uh, you gave us this time and uh, and these um, and these precious thoughts. And yeah, and we're looking forward to keep our conversation going. And uh, how do they say stay home? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our new podcast, Creativity Pioneers. If you'd like to check out other episodes and know more about our mission, please visit moleskinfoundation.org. Keep on following this podcast and share your comments on Facebook and Instagram at Moleskin Foundation. Until next time, stay creative.